Good morning. So glad to welcome you all to our church this morning as we seek to praise God together and to fellowship with one another and to learn more about him and to hear his voice in our lives. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who rules the nations with truth and justice? Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. you've done for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Sing 
for all that you've done for me. I meet with you and my soul sings out as your word throws out far away. I sing to you. Yeah. 
all of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saint, let every nation shout of your faith. Jesus is coming soon.
loving and heavenly Father. You have prepared for those who love you such good things that surpass our understanding. We pray that you would pour into our hearts such love toward you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. Truth is harder than a lie. The dark seems safer than the night. Everyone has a heart that loves to hide I'm a mess and so are you We build walls nobody can get through Yeah, it may be hard But the best thing we could ever do Ever do Bring your brokenness and I'll bring mine. Cause love can heal what hurt divides. Mercy's waiting on the other side. If we're honest, if we're Don't pretend to be something that you're not Living life afraid of getting caught There is freedom found when we lay our secrets down At the cross, at the cross So bring your brokenness and I'll bring mine Cause love can heal what hurt divides And mercy's waiting If we're honest, it would change our lives, it would set us free, it's where we need to be, so bring brokenness and I'll bring mine cause love can heal what hurt divides and mercy's waiting on the other side if we're honest if we're honest if we're honest
One of the great things about prayer is that we can be totally honest with God. And we have the opportunity now to offer our prayers to God, our, our perhaps word of confession, uh, words of praise, words of intercession. And as we pray together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come before you today in honesty, recognizing that we need you. We come before you declaring our need for your forgiveness, need for your grace and mercy, and your help in our lives. Lord, as we gather today, there are lots of concerns and burdens and issues that we represent and that we bring with us today. We thank you that you hear our prayers and that you're at work. So we pray for today for all who are struggling with uh, issues of broken relationships and our interactions with each other that are not what we would like for them to be and we know they should be. And we pray for your healing grace. We pray about the future. Some of us are at a point of of, the, of life where we are trying to decide what the next step is going to be. And there's a certain amount of uncertainty and anxiety. We pray that you will bring your grace and mercy of direction and guidance and peace. We pray, Father, for all the, the ways in which our hearts grieve about our own sense of loss and the burdens that we see in the world. And we pray that you will bring comfort in our grief. We pray, Father, for your healing grace upon uh, our physical concerns that are part of our lives. Today we pray for Doug Bogdan and Barb Rangel, for Bill Dusima, Bob Schaubert, for Calvin and Laurel Buecher, Warren Woolsey, Bill Getty. For Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, and Bruce Brenneman. For Beverett and Micah Christensen. For Linda Roth and Dick Gould. For Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar. For all who are on our minds and our hearts today, we pray for your healing grace on each of them. Father, we pray for uh, Tyler Christensen today. And the whole Christensen family as this young man is missing and has been for a few days. We ask that your grace would protect him and that you would bring him home safely and give peace and comfort to his family. Father, we pray for this church and we thank you for the ministry of this church. And especially we thank you for the Bible study groups that are part of our church and connected to our church. And for the study of your word and the privilege we have of doing that. And we pray you continue to help us grow and mature and be nurtured in the faith, through these groups. We pray for the churches around us, and today we pray for the Hunt Baptist Church and Pastor Fulmer. Pour out your blessing upon this this group of believers, that they would be bonded together to one another and that they would be a beacon of light and hope in 
all the places where uh, they, they encounter the world. And Father, we pray for our nation. Pray for an end to so much violence in our nation. Bring peace and healing. Pray for the people of Flint, Michigan, as they continue to struggle with their water situation. And there's so many other burdens and concerns of our nation and of our world. Father, we pray for refugees that are fleeing Syria and other places of the world. And the struggle that they face and ask for your grace upon them. We pray for uh, the other dangerous places of the world and where there is war and conflict. We pray that you will bring peace. Father, we pray for the work of your kingdom around the world. And we thank you for the work in, even in Rochester and the Youth Association and their connections with a wide variety of churches. We pray, Father, that you will pour out your blessing upon the Youth Association in Rochester and all who are leading it. And, Father, for many connections to the nation of Ecuador as this country tries to recover from the recent earthquake, we pray, Father, that, that you will bring grace to the people of Ecuador and that you will bring peace and a sense of hope to the people in Rochester who are connected to them. And, Father, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution. We think about the Christians in North Korea. There's so much turmoil in North Korea right now as their nuclear weapons and just so many things happening there and so much we don't know. But we do seem to get a sense that your children are face great difficulties in this nation. We pray, Father, that you would restore freedom, that you would unleash a new day of revival in this nation, that people desperately need to know you. And we pray that you would give courage and strength and help to our brothers and sisters in this difficult place. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We know that you do. You love us. And you answer in the way that is best. And so we lay all these things at your feet and we do so with joy and thanksgiving. And we do so in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. From the New International Version, 2011, Luke chapter 20, verses 27 to 40. Let us stand for the reading of the gospel. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. 
The first one married a woman and died childless. The second, and then the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. The word of the Lord. What a greeting with others who are here in worship. And uh, as we uh, move into the next song, if you have children going to children's church, now's the time to let them go. If you didn't hear me a second ago, now's the time for Children's Church if you want to take them. So it kind of got away from me there for a second, but that's okay. Just a couple of things before we uh, move into the next song. Uh, thanks so much to all of you who donated jars, uh, candy jars. You'll see what we're doing with those two weeks from today. So uh, you can uh, be thinking about that. I've had different people say, so what are we doing? I said, I'll tell you. You know, we'll find out. Um, the, uh, also, next Sunday... Uh, we are honoring the uh, graduating seniors, college graduating seniors. We will do high school students at the end of the month, end of May. So uh, we uh, we love to have uh, all the seniors, uh, both at Houghton College and other colleges that are connected to us, uh, other students connected to us from other colleges, here next week, and we'll do some special things uh, during that service. Uh, also, there's a note in the bulletin about the cleanup day, and it says Saturday, May 5th. And if you've looked at your calendar, May 5th is not a Saturday. Uh, so you can either come on Thursday, May 5th, or you can come on Saturday, May 7th. But hopefully Saturday, May 7th is the date of that, just a misprint. And also want to, uh, again, we, uh, we have the joy of, uh, bring, of welcoming another uh, little one into our church family. Juliana Ekaterina Newborough was born yesterday morning to Bill John and Yulia. And we celebrate with them and rejoice in this gift of new life. Please stand as we continue in worship together. Want to be close. 
close to your side, so heaven is real, and we will arise. We want to hear voices of angels above, singing as one, hallelujah, holy, holy, God.
You probably have noticed by now that um, relationships are complicated. And relationships are um, often the most difficult part of our lives. Relationships can be the best part of our lives. But they also are a, a place in our lives that we often struggle And part of the reason for that is because we have a tendency to hurt each other, disappoint each other. And sometimes we do that uh, overtly and sometimes intentionally, often unintentionally. I was thinking about this last Sunday. I was sitting in this service last Sunday, and about uh, 8.40 or so, I had my phone next to me, and I got a text. Well, I don't get a lot of text during church, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a spam text. And, and all it said had a little question. All it said was, breakfast? Question marks. I'm looking at that, I'm going, and I know who it was. You know, it's somebody I know, and I'm thinking, hmm. So I wrote back and said, I'm a little busy right now. <laughs> and I put a smiley face. You know how you have to do that so people don't think you're mad. And... You know, then they text me back, go, oh, I'm so sorry, I meant to text somebody else. And, uh, <laughs> and, that, and that was disappointing for two reasons. One, I was a little bit hungry and I wouldn't have minded eating breakfast. But, you know, it's also a little disappointing to think I wasn't really the person they wanted to eat breakfast with. That's somebody else completely in mind. I wasn't on the radar. It just came by accident. And, you know, I, I texted the wrong person a week before that. And uh, they wrote me back with question marks like, what are you talking about? You know, it was a part of another conversation. And and those were both pretty innocuous circumstances, but it made me think, wow, I'm so glad none of those texts were, you know, personal or, you know, something that I didn't really want people to see. And the same way with emails and, and the things that we, you know, just, we don't mean sometimes to hurt each other, but sometimes we put ourselves in positions where we do. And it's one of the great struggles of life. The difficulties of relationships. And creation speaks to that and the resurrection speaks to that because God God created us in relationship. We see that in in the book of uh, Genesis. But we also find that in the resurrection, we have relationships too. And, and, And I think the resurrection speaks to our relationships. But it begins with creation. Because I am convinced that the resurrected life, when we inhabit the new heaven and the new earth, if we're going to walk around on the new heaven and new earth, and we're going to have resurrected bodies, not just disembodied spirits that sort of float around, but we really have bodies, maybe something like Jesus' resurrected body. Jesus was recognized. They knew who he was. And so there are some similarities, there are some differences but it seems to me that we're going to have relationships. And I think it will be taking us back to God's original intent in creation about how we view the earth, how we view our possessions, how we view our work, and how we view our relationships. And it will be even greater than that. But when you look back at creation, we discover that we're creating the image of God. I think one of the reasons why the second commandment of the ten is don't make any graven images... It's because, it's not so much because those images are going to lead us down a bad pathway, but it's, it's because we don't create images of God. He already has created an image of him. 
He's created us in his image. We are the image of God in this world. And, and that is imperative to understanding who we are and relationships. We're created in the image of God. Genesis 1 tells us that God's intent, we, he didn't create us accidentally. God created human beings intentionally in his image. And there is something connected to being the, in the image, living in the image of God and bearing the image of God that's related to then later on as we read through the rest of Scripture of what it means to be holy people. What it means to be righteous. What it means to be what God wants us to be. And actually, when we think about what it means to be holy, what it means to be righteous, to be the person that God created us to be, it really is coming to the place of being fully human. Now, it took me a long time to grasp that because when I think of being human, there's a part of me that says, well, that's bad. Because Human beings are so full of sin. And and human beings keep messing up. We keep hurting each other. We keep doing all of these things that we aren't supposed to do. And to be fully human feels like, in some sense, it's pulling us away from God, not toward God. But that's because we are rooted in this dualistic mindset that that matter is evil and spirit is good. And and that's one of the reasons why I've come to the conclusion that when I think about the second appearing of Jesus, as I said a few weeks ago, I don't really think it's going to be us being escaping from the earth as if the earth is evil and that people are evil and we're trying to get away from them, but rather it is Christ coming to us and establishing the new heaven and the new earth and redeeming all of creation, including us. And there is something about I think our hesitancy to believe that to be holy, to be righteous, is to be fully human as we were created to be in the image of God. I mean, Paul says to the Philippians that, that we are to have the mind of Christ. We find that, that we also see that in, in other places of Scripture, it talks about what God wants for us is to be like him. And that is being, being fully understanding and fully embracing what it means to be created in the image of God. But holiness is learned and experienced. Being that the people that God wants us to be is learned and experienced in relationships. In the struggle, in the burden, in the joys, in the crucible of relationships. I think that's hard for us because, again, relationships are often our greatest struggle. But that's where holiness is shaped. That's where righteousness takes place. In that, because if, if God can, can bring holiness, if God can give us grace in the midst of the difficulties of life, then we are becoming who he wants us to be. You know, it, in some ways it's easy... To, to say God and I are good. You know, we've worked things out. God and I are good. It's a whole other thing to say my husband and I are good. My wife and I are good. 
My daughter and I are good. My son and I are good. My mother and I are good. My father and I are good. My roommate and I are good. My neighbor and I are good. My colleague and I are good. It's a whole different conversation. It brings a different perspective into that issue of holiness and righteousness and what we were created to be. And when we look at the scriptures, we find that God says to be holy, to be righteous, to be who he wants us to be is in relationship. In Genesis chapter 2, God says he creates Adam and then he looks at Adam and says, it's not good. For this man I've created to be alone. I've created him for relationship. And and that relationship is, is the place where we really learn holiness. And we experience holiness. You look again back at Philippians chapter 2. And, and this whole idea of being like Christ, it's all shaped and rooted and described in relationship, relational language. Unity, loving each other, caring for each other, having the same mind, the same heart. It just keeps coming back to that. I think that's why in Matthew 25, Jesus says... If, if, you, if you want to be my disciples, here's the difference between people who are, who are going to experience the joy of the resurrection versus people who aren't. It's about relationships. It's that what's me inside of you comes out in the way you treat other people, and particularly the most vulnerable people. So you feed the hungry, and you give water to the thirsty and you feed the naked and you go visit people in prison and you care about the sick and the poor. It's about relationship. And this isn't just a New Testament idea. I mean, just one place that we tend to refer to is back in Micah chapter 6. And God says to the people, look, what I want from you is not so much if I just appease God with these sacrifices, everything will be great. What's what I'm looking for, righteousness, is that, but it's also justice and mercy. Relationship. relationship. I think sometimes we read the scriptures with such a mindset that it's, it's addressed to an individual person. And we miss that most of scripture is addressed to corporate people. It, it keeps coming back to Relationships. And that's why the sign of God's, of who God is and the sign of who God's people are, is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, John says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. John's really just paraphrasing, expanding on what Jesus says to the disciples in those last hours before he goes to the cross. This is how people will know you're my disciple, if you love each other. And it doesn't mean that that's all there is to our faith, because understanding the scripture is important. Uh, worshiping God in a variety of ways is important. But, but ultimately, the sign 
of God's people is love because that's who God is. And we are created in the image of God and to be holy and to be righteous is to fully embrace the image of God in us, which is love. And love is always about relationships. It's always about caring for each other, being there for each other, which is the great challenge for us. It's pretty easy to talk ourselves into doing well about a lot of things in life, but love becomes very glaring about whether we're doing it or we're not. Because, again, it's it's so action-oriented. And love is more than just what goes on in our hearts, as important as that is. It's always about thinking about what is most important, what is best for this person spiritually. What will help this person grow closer to Christ? What will help this person flourish as a child of God? What will help this person experience Christ in them? What will help this person realize that they are a child of God and they bear the image of God? Loving each other. At the end of 1 John's 4th chapter, verses 20 and 21, John says this in a little bit different way. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, they're a liar. That's pretty blunt. You're a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God that we can't see? He's given us those command, this command, those who love God must also love their fellow brothers. It continually comes back to love. Continually comes back to love. It's an old story of the Apostle John, who seems to be at least the the apostle who lived the longest and um, well into old age and such that when they would bring him to church and he he seems to have spent the end of his life in Ephesus and they would he couldn't walk to church anymore and they would carry him to church. And, of course, every time he was there, they were asking him um, to share a word with the congregation. And every time he'd say to them, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. And week after week after week, that was his word. And finally somebody said, why is that the only thing you say? Because he said, that's because... All of it's wrapped up in that. It's the word of Jesus, the word Jesus told us. And all of the gospel is really wrapped up in that phrase. Little children love one another. And I'm convinced that that is the heart of what it means to live in a relationship in the resurrection. We love each other. Now, you may have been wondering, why in the world did we read that passage of Scripture today? It is kind of an obscure passage, and it's one of those that we have a hard time figuring out. The story of Matthew 22 is the same story, but in the story, the the Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus. In fact, it's a succession of, of people coming to Jesus, trying to trap him in the questions that they ask him. And they finally give up. In fact, the end of this passage we read is that they stopped asking him questions. Because they walked away embarrassed every time. 
But they ask him this question about, about Leverite marriage. And at the, in, that, in this Old Testament practice, if a man and woman were married, they didn't have children, the husband died, then, and he had, he had brothers, then she, would, she was married to one of the brothers to have the children for the first husband. And in this circumstance, there are seven brothers, and she goes through all of them, and all of them die. And their question is, Jesus, so in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus says to them, well, first of all, you're really ignorant of the Scriptures. Let's just lay that out on the line right here, okay? You don't know the Scriptures at all. And the reason they don't know the Scriptures is because, as, John, as uh, Luke tells us, they don't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus' point really in the end is the resurrection is true. We serve a God who lives, and he talks about people who are living even though they died. We believe in the resurrection, and the, and the kingdom of God is, about, is rooted in the resurrection. But let me just talk to you a second, he says, about marriage. Let me answer a different question than you're asking. And that is that in that day, what we think of as mar- of marriage seems to be the same and different. And that's where we come to relationships. You know, this is one of those passages that you look at and you think, I'm not sure I really quite get exactly what Jesus is saying. But somehow, as we think about marriage, it will be different. Now, reconciling that with the fact that the disciples could recognize the resurrected Jesus, which implies that probably we will recognize each other as resurrected people, then you have to wonder, how about these relationships and our close relationships? Will we know husband, wife, brother, sister, parent, child? I don't know. All I know is, Jesus says... While there are certainly similarities in the day of resurrection with the relationships, there are differences. I was talking with someone about this last week, and they, they said to me, you know, I, I get what that what Jesus is saying, but I don't like it. And I understand that. You know, you're, you're close with someone here. You have tight relationship with people here. We have these bonds with each other here. And... To think that the the resurrected life, all of those will disappear is really hard for us to grasp. And the closest I can get to it is is thinking about, I was thinking about Bill John and Yulia's baby, Juliana being born yesterday morning. And I'm sure as, as the birth process was beginning, her thought process was, why would I want to leave here? This is the best place in the world. I am closely connected to my mother. And nothing could be better than this. I suspect that's one of the reasons why the birth process is what it is, where you sort of have to force children to be born. Because, quite frankly, they don't know anything else. And where the position they are in the womb is the best place that they could ever imagine. But we know from this side of it how much more there is. And she will always have a relationship, a connection to her mother, but it will be different. I think we would argue it will be better. That's the best analogy I can think of, of the resurrected life and these intimate relationships that we have. It's hard for us to grasp, but it doesn't seem like it could be any better. And yet, Jesus seems to imply that it will be. And there will be connections, perhaps, but not the same. But it will definitely be better. 
But there is something else going on here, I think, that's important for us to grasp. That Joel Green talks about the fact that Jesus is not just talking about the resurrection then, but he's talking about how that relates to the culture of how we view some of our relationships now. And he says that when Jesus says people will not be married and given in marriage, he's specifically talking about the rights of women. Because in that culture, when it came to marriage, women really had no rights. It's not a coincidence that they talk about being given in marriage. They are given without any say in the matter at all. And this whole scenario of these seven brothers and this one woman, it's indicative of how that culture viewed women as sort of tools to use. You see that in the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. She's just a tool to be used for their ends. And that's how women and, quite frankly, all the people who were vulnerable in the society were treated. Children, poor, people who, were, who had diseases, people who had certain jobs, People who were pushed to the margins of society, who were considered outcasts, or in the words of Scripture, were sinners, as if the rest of the people weren't. And treated with disrespect, and devalued, and quite frankly, dehumanized. And Joel Green says, Jesus is making a statement here about what life will be, be, what relationships will be in the resurrection. And there will be none of that. All of us will be equal in the resurrection. All of us will have equal value in the resurrection. There will be no, well, they, they're better, they're more important, they're more essential, they're more valuable. No, we're all children of God. And in the resurrection, we will see that more clearly than we are able to see it now. No longer will we manipulate each other to get what we want. No longer will we look at people and say, well, they have little value. I mean, as as great as it will be to think about interacting with people like Abraham and Moses and, and David and Elijah and Peter and Paul and John, it's hard for me to imagine that in the resurrection they will have more value than any of us or anyone else for that matter. I don't think we'll have autograph books in heaven. I don't think we'll be standing back going, man, I would love to get a, a, a real Abraham autograph in my book. Wouldn't that be awesome? He'd probably write it in Hebrew. I couldn't read it, but it would be awesome to have it. And it made me think of when I was, a, I was younger and our family would go to baseball games in Cincinnati and we'd get there when the doors opened during batting practice because it gave us kids a chance to go down and we'd stand along the railing trying to get autographs from the players. And ever so often they'd mosey over to where the kids were and you stick out your book and you had to have, a, you had to have your book and you had to have your pen and, or a ball or whatever they were signing and you stuck it out, you know, all these hands and there's you know, scribbling on it. And you're like, this is awesome. But you know what I thought? They never once asked me for an autograph. I was a little offended by that, to be honest, as I think about it. They didn't ask me for an autograph once. They didn't ask anybody else standing there. None of the other kids or adults, they got, nobody was asked for an autograph. Why? Because in the context of that culture, they're valuable and we weren't. 
And I can't imagine that being the case in the resurrected life. There is no you're more valuable and you're less. We're all children of God. And and I think if that's the case then, then shouldn't it be one of our primary motivations now to treat people the same way? And to answer the prayer that we prayed earlier, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's one of the ways we do that. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons we don't do that is because we don't truly believe that certain people really bear the image of God. I mean, it was at the heart of the whole slavery movement. These people don't bear the image of God. They're not really human in the way we are. So we can treat them however we want to. And I think there is something in the back of our minds about certain groups of people that we think that about them. And it justifies our behavior. It justifies being in a conversation with someone and at the same time thinking, I wish I could talk to them. I wish I could be friends with them and ignore this person. But in the kingdom, we will recognize everyone bearing the image of God. And my prayer for you and for me is that we will begin to see people that way now. That we'll begin to look at people with the, through the eyes of Jesus. That we'll be able to say, that person may not be someone that, that, I, that I have a lot in common with. Maybe we disagree about things. May, maybe we have completely different perspectives about things. They're a child of God. And I want to treat them like that. Because when we get into the resurrected life, there will be people there who in this earth, on this earth and in this world, we have agreed with and we've disagreed with. People we like and people we don't like. People who who see things the way we do and people who don't see things the way we do. People who have a personality we connect with and people who have a personality that we don't connect with. If they're followers of Jesus, they're going to be a part of the resurrection. And in that time, we will love them and we'll care for them and we will value them because we will see them as children of God. People who bear the image of God. And my prayer is that we'd start to do that now. Someone asked me last week, do you think there'll be arguments in heaven? And my answer was yes and no. Of course, my first response is, well, no, of course not. But I think there's something about the potential for arguments in the resurrected life. Because God created us all different, different personalities, different, we all look different, we, we have different likes and dislikes and things. And, and I don't think all that's going to disappear. I don't think we'll all just be clones. I think we'll still have our personalities. I think we'll still have our uniqueness because God loves creativity and variety. And that's that's not going to just melt away. We're still going to have that. And that means we're we're going to have the potential to see things in different ways. Now, it won't be about truth because now we'll know the truth and, and that won't be the issue. But it'll be all of our opinions, all the different ways we view different things. The potential to argue, I think, might be there, but we won't. 
Because now, most of our arguments are about self-justification, self-satisfaction. Most of our arguments now are about proving to people that we're right. And there, in the resurrection, we won't care about proving that we're right. All we want to do is love. All we want to do is affirm one another and care for one another. And thinking about other people before ourselves. And again, if that's what it looks like then, shouldn't that have a bearing on how we live now? That instead of our primary motivation in our differences to be proving that we are right, our primary motivation is to love and to care. And sometimes that means we confront people about things that are obviously wrong. But even that we do not to prove we're right, but to help them become who God created them to be. It's the motivation. There's an old legend about, um, I read it, probably I was in seminary. This old legend, a vision that this woman had about about going to hell, and in her vision of hell, everyone was seated at these huge banquet tables. You think of a medieval castle and those big tables, you know, in those medieval castles, that's sort of the image I have in my mind. And everyone is sitting at these tables, and the tables are filled with sumptuous food. I mean, every delicacy you could ever imagine, everything you would love is at this table. And, and all the people are seated around the table. And, and there's only one rule. You can only eat with the, utent, the silverware provided. And the silverware that was provided were these four-foot-long forks. And everyone in hell is sitting in front of these tables of food, starving to death. In her vision, she was then transported to heaven. And in heaven, she was surprised to see the exact same picture. All the people sitting around these huge tables, all the same wonderful food in front of them, and the same silverware, and the same rule. The difference was, while everybody in hell was starving to death, everyone in heaven was nourished and full and healthy. And the difference was, in heaven, everyone was feeding each other. Sometimes we think of, because relationships are complicated, sometimes we feel like they're a burden. Sometimes we feel like if I could just get away from people, life would be good. But the reality is, relationships are a gift of God. And there is great joy in the resurrection, and therefore now, in needing one another, And in serving one another. In letting people serve us and recognizing what they bring to our lives. And in serving others and finding great joy in what we can bring to their lives. And in the end, people created in the image of God. Christ followers who who live in love 
want God's kingdom in heaven to come to earth. And we want to be a part of creating a whole new environment of relationships. Because of Christ in us. And because of what he wants to do through others in us and us into others. Gracious Father, thank you for the relationships that you've given us. Forgive us for the ways in which we've not seen each other as you do and we've not treated each other as you do. Give us grace to see our relationships in an eternal light. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.